Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development. And each Friday, we invite our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic insights from our in-house economics team. This is our special two-part Why Australia series. And last week, we reviewed the Australian economy's response to COVID relative to the US and Europe. Australia has maintained low COVID case numbers and is supported by a political framework that has enabled a consistent national management approach with state flexibility to enforce. As at 1 December, only South Australia now has a lockdown in place. Australia's fiscal spending throughout the crisis has been effective and supported by historically loose monetary policy. Put simply, the central bank is working very effectively with our government. This has seen our economy largely remain open and consumer and business confidence is starting to climb quickly, as is employment with 179,000 new jobs filled last month alone. So in today's second episode, given these relatively strong economic and health foundations, we will explore where global institutional investors, be they Australian, Asian or Middle Eastern, can identify resilient yielding investments and determine, is there a potential sleeping giant for investors? So with that, good morning to our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Morning, Craig. Good to have you with us, Matthew. And we're just a month away, can you believe it, from 2020 being relegated to the history books. Last week, we noted the positive developments in the race for the vaccine, Matthew, that will only help Australia's economy develop faster. So can you briefly recap for us which sectors Australia has had a comparative global advantage in? Well, Craig, we're, we're well known for our traditional sectors, um, which are mining and agriculture. Uh, and there's been significant overseas corporate investment in, in those industries. Um, over the last decade, though, um, institutional investors uh, have been active in infrastructure that supports our trade. Uh, that includes seaports and airports, as well as toll roads uh, that are important in shipping the exports and imports to and from um, our ports and airports. Uh, but also because of an abundance of natural energy resources we have in Australia, energy production and distribution has seen uh, interest among investors, particularly as governments here in Australia have been privatising these assets. Um, the strongest growth area here, though, uh, particularly for private sector in institutional investors, though, is renewable energy, uh, especially wind, solar and hydrogen now. Um, but we also have some key emerging export-oriented service sector industries, uh, and such as tourism, uh, education and health. And with Australia being located in the Pacific region, that gives us access uh, to over 60% of the world's population. Uh, and that, that population represents a customer base whose incomes are among the strongest growing in the world and whose aspirational spending is in such areas as travel, education and health. Yeah, very interesting, Matthew. And of course, we can't be forgotten that uh, the education sector is, I think, the third largest sector in Australia as well. So it's a really big one for our economy. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where in a special two-part series, our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is assessing relevant areas for institutional investors to consider as Australia's economy emerges from the COVID crisis. Matthew, it begs the question, which of these sectors will do well now in a rebound situation? Well, Craig, uh, each of uh, the sectors we just talked about, with the exception of mining and agriculture, have been hit uh, due to COVID, particularly uh, due to the closure of international borders. 
Uh, but fortunately, many of our service sectors can tilt towards domestic demand uh, and uh, Australia's ability to suppress COVID has meant that we are seeing rebounds uh, in tourism, education and health driven by, by local consumers uh, who have had alternative options such as international travel closed off to them. But what I think find interesting, Craig, is, is how investors can play these themes. Uh, and I think there's parallels with the, the idea that uh, investors have been in, have, uh, looked towards ports, for example, as a way of accessing Australia's trade connection to Asia. Um, the thing about ports is that not only do they give, they give that access to, uh, to the uh, Asia theme, but also it turned out that there were assets available in which investors could get um, could get in, get set to that thing, um, namely when uh, governments privatised uh, a lot of their uh, infrastructure. Um, so when I think about the service sector theme, what I think of is what allied industries um, leverage off that sort of uh, theme of tourism, um, of educational services and, and the like. And one that comes to mind is the retail industry. Um, but not only are retail assets tied to tourism and international students, for example, it also draws heavily on domestic demand. And the thing about COVID is that consumer spending has been the big winner. And in Australia, retail sales are currently around 6% higher than pre-COVID levels. And that's with our international borders closed. When they reopen, retail will receive a further boost so that uh, what has been really an unloved asset class of recent years, I think uh, potentially uh, can reassert itself. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where in a special two-part series, our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is assessing Australia's ability to manage COVID, the economic stability this has afforded us, and what implications this could have for foreign and domestic capital. Matthew, you mentioned retail real estate earlier. I want to explore this with you in further depth, um, particularly as a realistic investment. To be frank, I think some of our listeners will be critical of this selection. So let's not pull any punches together in understanding why this is a strong potential contrarian investment strategy. I have two words to start, internet shopping. <laughs> the two, uh, the two uh, really uh, sharp words when we're talking about uh, uh, real estate. Well, I think one thing we must be clear of upfront is that uh, online versus bricks and mortar is a very different beast in Australia compared to other nations for a variety of reasons. But really, you can see it in the numbers. So, for example, the current online penetration rate in Australia is just 12%, while in the US, for example, it's over 20%, you know, once you net out motor vehicle and gasoline sales. The thing about COVID that, you know, we have been talking about, Craig, in uh, previous podcasts, is that it's accelerated certain trends that were already in play. And, and we can see this in online sales. Um, the penetration rate in Australia has jumped by a bit over two percentage points from 9.5% to 12% with the onset of the pandemic here in Australia. And there should be some pullback um, in this uh, penetration rate as the economy reopens. But on the other hand, some people who have never uh, bought anything online 
have now been introduced to the concept and will probably continue to make online purchases. Um, I also think uh, that the upward trend that we were seeing in online uh, penetration rates will continue. And so when I net all those things out, Craig, um, our view is that there, we will see an ongoing increase in the penetration rate from its current level of 12% to around 19% uh, over the coming decade. That's, that's a little bit stronger than its pre-COVID trend. Um, now, that is a fairly uh, solid increase in online penetration rates. It represents about 10% annual growth in online sales over the next 10 years. And, and while this sounds uh, and it's significant. When you factor in the idea that online sales are still a relatively low um, share of total uh, sales, and particularly compared to brick and mortar sales, it actually leaves ample room for robust brick and mortar sales going forward, uh, which we think will experience uh, growth at an average annual rate of uh, well over 2% over the next decade. But I also think that COVID has uncovered uh, other uh, latent characteristics, let's say, of the consumer behaviour that perhaps were overshadowed in, um, in recent years by this focus on the rise in online sales. What we are seeing, not only in Australia, but around the world, is people's need to interact, to be out and about, to socialise, including shopping. The stylized fact of the future consumer being locked away in their bedrooms and lounge rooms, virtually interacting with the world online, I think has proven to be a gross exaggeration. I think there's some support for that as well, Matthew. Richard Murray, the CEO of JB Hi-Fi and the Australian home entertainment retailer, recently was on a QIC real estate panel and noted the Australian consumer is using the internet to become highly informed on what they want to buy but they come into the store to purchase. I think he said he doesn't expect any time soon for a customer to buy a $15,000 TV online. And good for those uh, with $15,000 uh, to buy a TV. Matthew, real estate was heavily marked down by a number of the superannuation funds in Australia at the height of the COVID impact. Was there an overcorrection in the June quarter? Well, certainly COVID has, uh, I think, forced uh, super funds to bring forward whatever uh, revaluations they were thinking of, and and that's I think that's a good thing. I think at the very least, what we can say is that the write downs that super funds have um, have uh, imposed now are at least uh, fully pricing the uh, hit to uh, real estate assets. My guess is it's probably gone a little bit too far, but as a minimum, it's it's now fully priced. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where in a special two-part series, our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is assessing how Australia is faring relatively when managing COVID and what implications this could have for investors. Matthew, has there been a shift in consumer patterns through COVID? Yes, uh, Craig, there has been uh, a sharp shift in consumer patterns. Now, some of those uh, responses to, um, you know, the change in uh, in conditions brought about by COVID. So we've had uh, lockdowns which have pre prevented people from uh, buying uh, services in predominantly um, 
that uh, couldn't be bought online. And then you've had other uh, sectors that have done very well, partly because they've um, remained open, their essential services, and partly because they've been able to buy online. For example, food retailing and household goods retailing um, have really surged during the COVID period as uh, people have, you know, been buying um, uh, food online, um, liquor sales are through the roof, for example, and also as people have been um, fitting out their home offices, et cetera, which has been driving household goods retailing. Um, the sectors that have been hit have been things like cafes, restaurants, uh, and uh, food services, which uh, are largely uh, been locked down. I think more generally, though, we we see as the the economy is reopening, those patterns that were typically um, part of the pre-COVID um, thematic starting to reassert themselves. You're seeing uh, a really sharp rebound in cafes, restaurants and food services as the, as the economy's reopened. Uh, you've seen a bit of a pullback in food retailing, but still relatively robust and uh, similarly a, a slight slowdown in household goods retailing. The two sectors though that have been hit quite hard by um, COVID is department stores uh, and also clothing, footwear and, um, and uh, personal accessory retailing. Those two sectors, particularly department stores, uh, are not seeing a significant rebound, nor do we expect to see them uh, rebound strongly. That's part of this trend away from that uh, product category. Um, whereas we, we will see ongoing uh, trend uh, in increased spending on service sectors, more experiential type of um, spending to do with things like cafes, restaurants, but also um, services outside of retail, like health and education. Yeah, it sounds like it's spelling a, a bit of a change in the way that uh, that retail will be operating going forward. So has COVID created conditions, Matthew, which could be supportive of those large Australian retail centres, given their infrastructure, what the property experts refer to as super regional centres? Yes, I think it has, um, Craig, and in, in a number of ways. Uh, the resources and the control over tenants that majors and super regional centres have helps them execute and promote a COVID safe environment. I think a lasting theme of COVID will be a greater emphasis on hygiene uh, driven by customers, even after the vaccine has, found, has, has been found, because, well, who knows what will be the next COVID. I also think that the trend of working from home, uh, which has clearly been accelerated um, by COVID, uh, also enhances the convenience of uh, of super and major regional shopping centres. And finally, I think COVID has accelerated uh, the morphing of super and major regional shopping centres into town centres, you know, replacing the traditional high street offerings across uh, multiple uses from the traditional retail offer to entertainment, to health services, as well as dining out. So Matthew, with all that in mind, when you look at the go forward case now for these retail shopping assets, how are you assessing the capital versus the income component? Well, as economies have been opening, uh, it's really been the consumer that's been driving uh, the uh, activity. Uh, that's true um, outside of Australia as well as in Australia. And, and once international borders reopen, uh, 
consumer spending will get an added boost um, due to migration and uh, the flow of international tourists. And we must remember that consumer spending, say in a country like Australia, accounts for over 50% of the economy. And it's far less volatile than uh, most other sectors of the economy as well. Uh, I expect uh, the consumer will drive robust rental growth to retail real estate assets and hence generate strong uh, income returns within the asset class. And so in a world uh, that's searching for yield, uh, but with uncertainty about the future, an asset that delivers strong returns weighted towards stable income flows, uh, I think will be extremely attractive to investors. And that's a role traditionally played by a retail real estate and one that I think retail real estate is uh, positioned to readopt. And in full disclosure, as an alternatives fund manager, QRC does operate a real estate investment funds management capability. Thanks, Matthew, for your insights over the past two episodes. So in summary, relative to regions such as Europe and the USA, Australia is experiencing a strong and strengthening economic position, and the framework is in place to deal with any COVID surges, which we should not discount. With the Why Australia case now fully in place, Australia has clear sectors with a competitive global advantage, and some of these have the additional capacity to rebound now that Australia's economy is open and showing positive signs. Is Australian real estate justified as a sleeping investment giant? I'd be fascinated to hear your feedback, and you can email me on qpod at qic.com. I'm Craig Valenzuela for QIC's Take 10 podcast. Thank you for listening and have a super weekend.